Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and my guest for this week is Fox Sports West and Prime Ticket high school football broadcaster, four-year starting quarterback for Florida State, and SoCal prep sports legend Chris Ricks. Chris, thanks for taking out some time from your busy schedule to join the podcast. Nara, it's great to be on the show. Love the show and love your work. I appreciate that. And before we jump into talking about the Trojan recruiting class, which is the main reason I wanted to bring you on for this week's show, I know you do a lot of mentoring and coaching work with young athletes. Why don't you let our audience know some of the things you're doing with the Champion Training Academy? Sure. Yes. After I got done with the Chargers in 2005, I founded Champion Training Academy, starting working with quarterbacks on the field and mentoring them off the field, trying to teach them not only what to do, but what not to do. Learning from the School of Hard Knocks and being fortunate to play at Florida State and then spend a little time with the Chargers. So have tried to implement that and worked with a lot of great quarterbacks over the years. Mark Sanchez was my first student back when he was at Santa Margarita, the school I graduated from coming out of high school. And yeah, it's just been great to work with athletes on and off the field, starting with quarterbacks. And now we train all positions, really trying to help them navigate the things on the field and off the field that student athletes deal with. So we're in our 15th year and started with Bryce Young when he was nine years old, which was great. And then he's had some great coaches over the years. Anyone that's been able to work with Bryce has been tremendously blessed. We were talking at a signing day at Modern Day back in December. Couldn't believe it had been nine years since we had started the process together when he was a nine-year-old. So it's been great to work with student athletes and helping them uh, accomplish some of their goals and dreams like I've had the privilege of doing, Nora. Yep, that is some great work you're doing there, and obviously it means you're dialed in to the high school football scene, especially here in Southern California, and we are going to talk a little bit more about Bryce Young in just a bit, but of course, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. The website is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. And on social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me personally, you can find and follow me on Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Chris, where can they find you on social media? You can find me both on Twitter and on Instagram, at Coach Ricks. That's R-I-X as an X-ray, or my kids would say X-Wing, being big Star Wars fans. So just Coach Ricks on Instagram and Twitter. So we are recording the show on Thursday this week, which means yesterday was National Signing Day for college football recruits. In years past, it was a day that USC fans eagerly awaited to see who the next group of Trojan stars would be. However, since the addition in 2017 of the early signing period in December and the lackluster recruiting buzz surrounding USC's 2020 class, National Signing Day came and went with very little fanfare. There was only one person to add to the 12 that had signed early. Tight end Jack Yeri of Murrieta Valley High School, the son of USC great and pro football Hall of Famer Ron Yeri. And Jack had actually decommitted from the Trojans in the fall, looked into other schools, including Washington, before coming back to continue the family legacy. 
A couple of players that SC had offered late, running back Michael Drennan II from Ohio and quarterback Cade Fennigan from Texas, chose Kentucky and Boise State respectively instead. 24-7 Sports' composite rankings put the Trojans at number 55, 10th in the Pac-12 ahead of only Washington State and Arizona. Chris, you cover high school football here in SoCal extensively as a broadcaster, coach, and mentor. What do you make of the USC recruiting class, which is the lowest-ranked class in school history? Yeah, and anyone who follows USC and the Pac-12, let alone knowing the national brand of USC, Nara, it is a disappointment. The perception is not good around the program right now, but perception is not always reality. Let me talk about some positives for USC and some things that a lot of people who maybe aren't tied into the program or know what's going on in the landscape of covering high school football and covering college football may know. So the first things we got to get out there is that USC only graduated seven seniors last season. So that's one reason why it's a small signing class. They have a lot of guys coming back with only graduating seven seniors. And some of their biggest priorities were adding depth on the offensive line, which they did in this year's class. Only a few starters left from last year's team. You've got offensive tackle Austin Jackson, Andrew Richmond, wide receiver Michael Pittman, who a lot of people know jumped on the scene this past year, and then defensive lineman Christian Rector and linebacker John Houston. So one thing we need to put out there is it's not like all of their seniors are gone and they're rebuilding everything. There's a lot of guys coming back with only those seven seniors graduating. With that being said, being one of the smaller classes and only having one of the top 350 recruits in the country signed, that is unlike USC. What are we used to seeing? Double-digit numbers out of the 350 every year, whether it's 10, 12. We've seen highest 14, 16 of the top 350 signed with USC over the year. So to see only one, yes, that is not good for the reputation and perception and for Clay Helton and the staff right now as far as recruiting. Again, it's a very small class. And another factor is with a lot of the guys signing in December, that early signing period, that also skews perception as well. They did have 12 players signed back in December. But again, the perception of the program right now is down and Clay Hilton and the staff have to get it turned around in a hurry. Yeah, I've talked on the show before after that early signing period that part of the reason for the low ranking is just the smaller class and the lack of skill position players, which tends to skew the rankings upward when you have more of them. But you're right, perception can turn into reality if they don't turn things around. The one top 350 prospect that was signed, Gary Bryant Jr. out of Centennial High School, and he's one of the top 10 receivers in the country. He is one of the two four-star recruits consensus-wise in USC's recruiting class, along with offensive lineman Jonah Monheim. So again, like you said, the lack of the flashy five-star recruits that most USC fans are used to getting has definitely led to some of the concern following this class. Now, let's talk a little bit about some of those guys that signed in December. Gary Bryant Jr., of course, the headline there. Yeah. And the other wide receiver, Josh Jackson Jr., out of Narbonne High School. And those two guys have enrolled early. They will participate in spring practice along with defensive lineman Kobe Pepe out of St. John Bosco and nationally ranked kicker Parker Lewis from Arizona. So speak of the benefits of those guys being able to get in early to SC. Well, I think it's huge. It gives them not only a physical advantage as far as the strength program and everything they're going to be exposed to physically, 
but really just mentally getting involved with the system, getting in the playbook, and just making that adjustment from high school to college. So that's a big advantage. Was able to cover Gary Bryant a lot in high school. I know he's not the biggest or the tallest, but so fast, so electric. You know, if you remember Tavon Austin out of West Virginia, who played for the Rams, kind of reminds me of Tavon Austin. And anytime he puts a ball in his hands, whether he's come out of a slot, whether it's in the punt game, return game, you don't like to make the early comparisons to Adore Jackson, but he kind of reminds me of him just of how explosive he is as well. Another former USC great, Josh Jackson as well. So these guys are great when they have the ball in their hands, just such great athletes. Kobe Pepe out of St. John Bosco, CIF champion, state champion, national champion. Guy was all over the field on the defensive side. He was the defensive player of the year in CIF Division I, one of the biggest honors. And he's an NFL guy, in my opinion. So you have these two flashy guys in Brian and Jackson. USC fans are used to seeing so many of them in the class five, six, running backs and wide receivers. They didn't get those. But again, those weren't their biggest priorities right now. It was really the offensive line and some of that depth in the trenches as well. So USC in this class, they did get, I think, a few future NFL offensive linemen. They got a great kicker in Parker Lewis, who's one of the best. And then they got some solid defensive linemen in the mix as well. So some of their biggest needs were addressed. But again, in this day and age of flashiness and highlights, people want to see all those skill guys like Gary Bryant having more of those in the skill set and the running back. So again, people are just going to have to realize that the priorities that USC needed for the most part were filled. Yeah, I think it's a good thing that they did go after line depth. And we all know that I think the key to a good team is based in the trenches. You got to control the line of scrimmage on both sides. Yeah. And look, those six offensive linemen that signed, those are all big dudes. I mean, no one's smaller than 6'5 and 285 in that group. So you would think if they're already coming out of high school that big, it's basically just building strength and muscle, right? Once you get into the college training program. Yeah, you can't teach or coach frame. (laughs) And these guys have big frames. And when they put on more muscle, they get in the nutrition program at USC. They hit that weight program. They're only going to get bigger, faster, stronger. Jack Yeri, 6'6", covered him in high school a lot this past couple years. The guy, it's already in his genes with his father, Ron Yeri, but he's a tremendous hard worker. He's going to be great in the run game and blocking on the edge. Also, you can flex him out in the slot. He's a great athlete. So again, another one of those big frames with these offensive linemen they got. And that's what any great college program needs. We've seen it from Alabama. We saw it from LSU this year. And that's something that has been an Achilles heel for USC the past few years. They've been getting beat up front, penetration on their offensive line, and they just haven't dominated on the defensive line like we've been used to seeing. Now, something that's going to hurt them in recruiting is you already have Drake Jackson, who's there, but someone else who followed in his footsteps at Corona Centennial, Corey Foreman, USC fans thought he might be going to SC. He's already committed to Clemson. So that hurts them. You got guys like Bo Collins from St. John Bosco, who's committed to Clemson. So what we've noticed these past few years, and I was fortunate to be really one of the first ones 20 years ago to go to the South when I signed with Florida State, but we've really seen the trend these past few years of these SEC schools coming in and getting the talent from Southern California. Clemson getting DJ Uyunglele, now Bo Collins, two guys from Bosco going to Clemson. I just mentioned Corey Foreman, who is really the next coming of Drake Jackson at Centennial. He's committed to Clemson. And then we've even seen it from the smaller schools because people think, oh, it's just Alabama, LSU, and even Clemson out of the ACC. But we saw it in this class with running back Mike Drennan out of Ohio. USC has been communicating with a lot over this past year 
So to see him not come to SC when it seems like he was all in, his parents were all in, they really liked the USC program. To see him sign with Kentucky yesterday, yes, an SEC school, but a smaller SEC school, that does not bode well when you have recruits choosing places like Kentucky and other schools on the East Coast other than USC. Yeah, it definitely hurts the brand, as they would say, in yes. terms of losing a battle with Kentucky, which is definitely not known as a football power. This isn't basketball, folks. Right. It's football. So that was definitely something that's going to, again, stick in the craw of USC fans. Although, of course, Kentucky has been on him since he was like a 13-year-old. So it's kind of understandable that he goes with someone who's been after him for such a long time. But I think Part of the reason, and you can agree or disagree with me, when you went to Florida State at that point, you didn't have all these conference networks. You didn't have the TV landscape where basically every team is on TV all the time. And so if you want to leave your region to go and play somewhere else for your family and friends to watch you, you had to be on a major power team. So you'd be on TV. And now that's totally changed. It has. It has. You know, with the Big Ten Network and then the Longhorn Network, which I was able to work for years ago, and now the ACC Network, the SEC Network, all these different networks. Sure, that plays a role, but you're not going to have any USC alum or fan justifying losing a running back to a school like Kentucky, where you're comparing everything that USC has. And this is a big reason why they've dominated over the years in recruiting. Yes, because of the results in the field, but Southern California you know, Hollywood, the beach, everything that you have. And that's where if you look at Clay Hilton and the staff, this is where they have to win in these recruiting battles. I understand if Kentucky's been talking to Dren and his family since he was 13, but when you're in a recruiting battle, you've got to be able to close those deals when you're competing with a school, not just like Alabama or LSU or Clemson, but a school like Kentucky. That is not a battle you can lose with everything that USC has to offer, let alone the running backs that have played there over the years. A lot of people would call it running back you. I couldn't name one running back right now to play at Kentucky, but we know about Reggie Bush. We know about Lendale White. We know about the great running backs that they've had at USC over the years. So again, that's the thing I think worries USC fans a lot is how they are losing these even tight recruiting battles to schools of less caliber and less players being sent to the NFL. And so one of the big losses that USC took was when quarterback Bryce Young decommitted in the fall and decided to go to Alabama. Like you've mentioned, you've known him since he was nine years old. Mm -hmm. Can you give a little more insight into what went into Bryce's decision to flip his commitment and sign with the Crimson Tide? Yeah, and it was tough. It was tough for Bryce because he loves USC. His family loved USC. He committed there early and a very good relationship with Clay Helton and the staff. And I like Clay Helton. Anyone who's talked to him, he is a great guy. And I think he's a great football coach too. Some people, a lot of people won't agree with that. But look, his first two years as a coach at USC, he brings a Pac-12 championship. He brings a Rose Bowl. And in his first two years, I know you know this, Nara, but not many people know, he won the most games in the first two years of a head coach at USC than anyone in history, than any other coach. That's John Robinson. That's Pete Carroll, McKay, anybody who would coach at USC. No one won more games in their first two years than Clay Helton. Again, you put on the Rose Bowl, you put on the Pac-12 championship, but that's the standard. And that's the double-edged sword that USC has is people expect that every year, or at least to be competing for the Pac-12 championship, just like they did a few years ago. So to not be competing for it, to have a recruiting class towards the bottom of the Pac-12, 
that is why there needs to be such a sense of urgency by Hilton and his staff to really right the ship because he is a good guy. He is a good coach. He's shown he can win. But again, that standard is expected every year. So it was tough, a tough decision for Bryce, but he just felt it was the best decision for him and his family at this time, just given the state of the program, being with recruiting and where Alabama is at. As we see, Nick Saban and his staff are just so consistent each and every year. And Bryce wants to play for a national championship. And a lot of players who USC recruits, they want to do that. And right now, as we're seeing, USC is not in that position right now. That is one of the biggest things that is hurting them in recruiting because not all players are just looking to the NFL. They want to compete and do well in college. And to see where USC has been, not the past five years, not the past 10 years, just even the past couple of years. In this day and age of recruiting wars and everyone who is the in thing right now and the hot program, that's why you're seeing guys like DJ Uyangalale, Bo Collins, Justin Flo, all these other guys going to the East Coast, going to the South. And that's something that USC has to fix and they have to fix it very quickly. So USC has two scholarships still open out of the 85 total that a team has. And it's possible, of course, that there may be some guys out in the transfer protocol that could Mm -hmm. maybe take those slots. And they did sign two preferred walk-ons as well, two guys from St. John Bosco, linebacker Danny Lockhart and running back Matt Colombo. So I want you to kind of explain a little bit for those who aren't familiar with what exactly is a preferred walk-on. Sure. So if you have a walk-on, that's just someone who wants to come try out for the team and no one really knows them. If you're a preferred walk-on, you've been communicating with coaches. They've been talking with you. It's like a highly recommended walk-on. Again, the coaches have the relationship with you, and it may just be a matter of scholarship numbers. As you mentioned, they do have two scholarships right now. I think they're saving one of those for a quarterback, being that they have not signed a quarterback in this year's class. They missed on Cade Finnegan, who chose Boise State. They're talking with another quarterback who looks like he's going to Baylor. And again, those are some of those recruiting wars that USC is losing right now that you never used to see them lose, especially to schools like Boise State and Baylor. So I think they're saving one of those scholarships for a quarterback, even though they have young quarterbacks in the program with Daniels and Slovis. Any good coach wants to get at least one quarterback in his recruiting class because it's the most valuable position on the field. So to have those preferred walk-ons in Lockhart and Colombo, I've covered them in high school at St. John Bosco. I think these guys are scholarship caliber players, and I believe that they will earn scholarships in their time at USC. And listen, if I have offers to other schools for a full scholarship and I'm going to go walk on somewhere and pay for my education, I'm not going to do that unless I have a good idea that sooner than later, I'm going to have an opportunity to earn a scholarship. So there, it's probably just a numbers and logistical thing to where they're going to go as preferred walk-ons, basically highly recommended walk-ons by the staff. And I think with the work ethic that Lockhart and Colombo have, they've come from St. John Bosco, they're national champion high school players, they know what it takes. I would see them earning scholarships sooner than later. And how important do you think it is to get a quarterback in this class? Because we know that five-star quarterback recruit Jake Garcia is the headliner of next year's USC recruiting class. Does that mitigate not signing a quarterback this year? You know, I don't think it does. And Garcia could have been in this year's recruiting class with his age, but he will be in next year's recruiting class. So it's good that they have that. Now the question is, just realistically speaking, will Clay Hilton be there next year? Will this staff be here next year? So I do think it is important that they do get someone this year. You always want to get, I think, one quarterback in the class. We saw what happened last year 
And that's something that a lot of people overlook as well. In defense of Clay Hilton, he had a good season the year before with JT Daniels. What happens early in the season? JT Daniels gets hurt. You have to bring in another freshman quarterback. So listen, was it a great season? No, it was not a great season. But when you face this kind of adversity, when you lose a quarterback, you have to play a young guy. Again, it's the most important position on the field. And I think Slovis had about as good a year as he could have had being a first-year guy and a young player. Those are things that it's hard to overcome when you have a position that touches the football every single time. It wasn't just a receiver. It wasn't just a running back. This is your quarterback. And the biggest thing I saw from last year is it didn't seem like the players quit on the coach. Now in that holiday bowl, they did not look very good at all. I don't think that they showed up to play that game. And you run into that sometimes when you're talking with 18, 19, 20-year-old young men. A bowl game is different, especially if you're not playing in the playoff or something with high stakes. Young men cannot fully prepare as well as they should, and those kind of trap bowl games happen. But throughout the year, I didn't see the team quit on Clay Hilton, even with all the adversity they had. And people forget about some of the injuries they had. They were banged up, quarterback position, and other places as well. So as we've learned, the quarterback, if you're the backup, you're one play away. If you're the third string, you're two plays away. And it can never hurt to have too much depth at that position because if you've got someone in there who can't get it done, your offense is done. You can't win one dimensional in this game of college football with just a run game. So I would expect them and I would highly encourage them to have a quarterback in this year's class just because of injuries. You don't know how Daniels is going to come back. Slovis as well. You've got Garcia next year, but I would still try to sign one in this year's class if I was USC. All right. And to finish up our little recruiting talk, I want to take it back. Back in the day when Chris Ricks was the hotshot recruit coming out of Southern California, being recruited <laughs> by schools all across the country, how different was it then compared to now? And also, I know USC was on the list and you turned USC down. What went into your decision? Sure. Well, first, the biggest thing that has changed is just the social media, Nora. I mean, just all the exposure and how much more players know about coaches and how much more coaches know about players. I don't know if I would have made it if I had social media back then. You know, being a young, uh, immature high school athlete, the things that, that I probably would have posted, it probably would have gotten me in some trouble. So I'm glad I didn't have social media back in the day. And as we see today, it does get some recruits in trouble. I've seen recruits lose scholarships over something they posted or something they said because these coaches' jobs are on the line and they're not going to be perfect in everything, but there's a big vetting process of that now and they're watching everything you're posting, everything you're saying. So that's the biggest thing, I think, it's how it's changed. And then as you mentioned earlier, just with the exposure to the different TV networks, fortunately I was at Florida State, so most of, if not all of our games were national or at least on the East Coast, but it's just gotten so much bigger. It's gotten so much more of a business. And now seeing all the transfers, transfers in college, transfers in high schools, it's almost like the high school transfer environment has become just like college. So those are the biggest differences to me. What really stuck out to me in my decision-making process is I thought I was going to go to USC or UCLA going through the recruiting process. And I had offers from a lot of schools outside of Southern California throughout the country, but a big part of me wanted to stay home. But Paul Hackett at USC was struggling. They were towards the bottom of the Pac-10 in the late 90s and also Bob Toledo at UCLA. So both the programs weren't in their strongest position. As for USC, Carson Palmer was there. I'd replace him at Santa Margarita. I knew how good he was and that I was going to have to sit at least for a few years behind Carson Palmer. And then at UCLA, you had Cade McNown who was finishing up there. But again, people were talking about that Bob Toledo may not be there. Both programs were struggling. Meanwhile, Florida State was number one in the country. They won the national championship my senior year. 
So that was the biggest thing for me, just seeing the strength of the programs at the time. And it turns out that Paul Hackett at USC and Bob Toledo at UCLA did not finish during my college career. So I would have had different coaches. So those are the biggest things for me. Bobby Bowden, Florida State, the strength of the program they were in, they just won the national title, is a big reason why I chose Florida State. And you were right. You were sort of a trailblazer at that point. Not a lot of guys left Southern California to go all the way to the deep south to play college football, especially at the quarterback position. So you kind of were a trendsetter in your own way, Chris. Yeah, you know, it was a tremendous blessing. I didn't realize it at the time, but afterwards, Coach Bowden reminded me that I was the first player from California that he had recruited and offered a scholarship to. You know, you don't see it as much as a young man, but so grateful for that opportunity. As you see, Florida State, Alabama, LSU, all those programs, there's so much talent down there in the South. They don't have to leave very often. So to be a part of one of the first ones to do that was something as that I'll always remember because now we've seen it is a big trend and the schools in the South are coming out to get the best talent on the West Coast, as we're seeing with Bryson in Alabama, DJ Uyagalale to Clemson. And every year, it seems like more players from Southern California are going to the SEC and going to the South. That's great for their programs, but that really hurts schools like USC and UCLA when you have so much to offer here in Southern California. You have athletes and families that have grown up loving these programs to see these families and this talent leave, again, both for USC and UCLA. They've got to write those and keep the talent home. And now a word from Manscaped. Breaking news. After more than 18 months of research and development, the Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the greatest ball hair trimmer ever. This new trimmer was just released only moments ago, and we are the first to confirm the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 Manscaping trimmer is now available for purchase. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V. And as always, your balls will thank you. So now, Chris, let's get your thoughts on the state of USC's program. You've touched on a few things already. We talked about Clay Helton being retained and the fact that, yes, the players like Clay. They love playing for him. And that's part of the reason, I'm sure, why AD Mike Bone decided to keep him on. Of course, Clancy Pendergast, the defensive coordinator, was let go. John Baxter, the special teams coach, was let go. They have hired a new defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando, who had been let go from the University of Texas. And there were some coaching maneuvers in the last week. Defensive coaches Johnny Nansen, the inside linebackers coach, DB's coach Greg Burns, and defensive line coach Chad Kauha Ahaa let go. And Craig Nivar was brought in as safeties coach. He has ties to Todd Orlando. And John David Baker, who was already on staff as quality control assistant, he was elevated to tight ends coach to take the place that John Baxter was doing as well, running tight ends. So talk about just your general feeling on where USC is going and the expectations that have to be met for this 2020 season. Yeah, well, I think it's in a very fragile state right now, USC football. And when you see on signing day that they're 10th out of 12 programs in the Pac-12, and you see only one top 350 recruit sign, again, it's just not what USC alum and the people that follow the program are used to. 
I've had to see us the past few years with Florida State to see their struggles recruiting. But they have a coach, Coach Norvell, who comes in just with two months work, finishes a top 20 recruiting class. So you kind of expect these things when you see a maybe a new coach. But when you see someone who's been there for a few years, I think that's what's surprising a lot of people. You have Clancy Pendergrass, who was fired. Todd Orlando comes in. But it's not like he left on his own from Texas. He was fired from Texas as a defensive coordinator. So you're going to have people say, hey, we're taking someone who was just fired from another program. And there's been so much turnover. I mean, you mentioned all these different coaches. There is no coaches from that 2017 Rose Bowl team still on staff. No coach from that staff other than Clay Hilton. There's no assistants that are still a part of the staff. I mean, you look at the defensive backs. They've had three coaches in three years, Nara. The defensive line, three different coaches in three years. So it's just that lack of consistency, continuity, and that affects a program when you can't get that. I had to deal with a few different offensive coordinators at Florida State, and it is an adjustment. And when you're having to do it each and every year, it's a challenge for these young men to get in that rhythm, not just scheme-wise, but just relationship-wise with their coaches. And when you're having young men that are so impressionable, it's at a very crucial stage in their life to having new coaches, new leaders, new mentors every few months, that can be very challenging. And you've got some good coaches here with Nansen and Burns and even Baker, who's still on staff, but new to the program. The thing I notice in these coaches, Nara, is they don't have a lot of ties to Southern California, to the programs here, to the coaches here, to the relationships. And you've got guys like Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney and other coaches, even Ed Ogeron at LSU still has ties to the coaches here, the high school coaches in Southern California because of his days at USC. So that's something that these assistants are really going to have to establish is the relationships and the trust with the high school head coaches here. I just think there's a lack of trust right now because these high school coaches in Southern California don't have those long-term relationships that they're now establishing or being established with other top programs from around the country. So that's been something that has affected recruiting as well is, is such the turnover with the assistant coaches that even just a few years ago, USC is winning the Pac-12, they're winning the Rose Bowl, and none of those assistants are on staff anymore. Clay Hilton is really the only one. So again, they've got to get that continuity. They've got to get the confidence back in the program. And that's one of the biggest things that will help recruiting because as we've talked about right now, the perception is not good. The results aren't good. And there's trust right now from Mike Bowen, at least what we're seeing publicly and the administration for Clay Hilton. They feel he's the safest. They feel they trust him the most. They don't want to deal with any off-field stuff. And that's something that Clay has done a good job in. We haven't seen those big violations. We haven't seen sanctions. A lot of people wanted Urban Meyer, but Urban Meyer, he had baggage from Florida. He had baggage from Ohio State. They didn't want to run the risk, I believe, of having some of those off-field distractions and some of the things that as great as the results were with Pete Carroll, we saw what happened with the sanctions and the things that they had to deal with after that. USC doesn't want to deal with that anymore. So Clayton has done a good job in that. Now they need to get the results back on the field. It starts with their recruits, and that's where they need to pick things up. And yesterday on signing day was another black eye. Hopefully they get a couple more recruits with a few scholarships they have left, and then this class has to win, and they've got to win quickly. And it's not going to be easy with the schedule that USC has in 2020. You start off in Texas playing the Alabama Crimson Tide. Everyone's got that circled on the calendar, of course. But you look at that Pac-12 gauntlet, it's a tough conference to go through. And especially to me, the final four games of the season, the month of November, is going to be crucial. You go at Oregon, home against Washington, at UCLA, and home against the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. It's very conceivable that Clay Helton could be coaching for his job in those final four games. 
Well, I think he'll be coaching for a job as soon as the season starts. That Alabama game is crucial. If they get blown out by Alabama, who knows if he makes it to those last four games in November. They have to compete. I'm not saying they have to win that game, Nara, but they have to compete with Alabama. They cannot get blown out like we saw a few years ago when you had Blake Barnett, you had Max Brown, and in a national stage, again, this will be, I believe, the only game on at that time being played in Cowboys Stadium. All eyes on USC. They have to compete in that game. That's why spring football, summer, fall camp, there has to be a sense of urgency. It's not like, hey, we've got a couple years to get this thing right. Yeah, we're young. No, they're not. We talked about at the beginning of the show. They have so many guys coming back, only graduating seven seniors. So this is going to be an upper-class heavy team with offense, defense, and special teams. Most of the guys playing are going to be seniors and juniors, and they've got to start out strong the season. It starts with Alabama. And then, yes, going to November, that is a very tough stretch. You've got the Pac-12 champs in Oregon. Washington has been on the rise the past few years. UCLA, hey, they're split now 1-1 since Chip Kelly took over at UCLA. So that's going to kind of be the rubber match. And you know Notre Dame, Coach Brian Kelly always has them prepared. Yes, it's a home game. That helps USC. But Notre Dame is always prepared. So this is a make-or-break season, in my opinion. And it starts with that first game against Alabama. They cannot get blown out. They have to compete in that game. Yeah, I was at the game in 2016 where USC did take a bad loss. And like I've said on all the shows when we brought this up, I will not be back there to watch this year's game. (laughs) I'm not spending the money to go back. I got to go experience Jerry World and all the grandeur of that stadium. And listen, I was being pitied by Alabama fans. My friends and I, as we were leaving the stadium, they weren't even talking trash. They just felt pity for us. It was even worse than if they were talking trash. Right. Yes, USC needs to avoid a bad start to the season. Even a close loss might actually make people feel better about the state of the program. Yeah, it can't be double digits. If they lose, it has to be within single digits. They cannot get beat by more than a couple touchdowns if they do lose that game. And again, it's not like USC has no talent. They have talent. They got big players like Drake Jackson. They've got skill guys. So they have players. It's a matter of the scheme. And it's a matter of the execution. And I think that's why a lot of attention has been on the coaches, on Clay Hilton. Obviously, it starts at the top with the leadership. But the most recent performance that everyone has to see is that Holiday Bowl. And that was just an embarrassment by USC football to come out and play the way they did. Granted, it's a bowl game. To lose in that way, that leaves such a bad taste in your mouth. And it sticks with you all offseason. And that's why a lot of the USC faithful that forget what happened a few years ago with a Rose Bowl championship, a Pac-12 champ. They forget what Clay did in his first few years. It's just been more fuel on the fire when you're losing to rivals, you're losing against teams that you have just as much talent as, and then when that happens in a bowl game like that. So the best thing they can do is come out and compete and show that they're worthy of playing with the best in the country like Alabama, because what I think the expectations are next year It's not just have a winning season. It is to win the Pac-12 South and compete for a Pac-12 championship. That is a standard at USC. Love it or hate it, that is what fans expect. They did it just a few years ago, and that's always going to be the expectation for any coach at USC, whether it's Clay Hilton or someone else. And if you're getting beat by UCLA, if you're getting beat by Oregon, Notre Dame, and especially lesser teams and not competing for your division, let alone for the conference, you're always going to be on the hot seat because that is the standard of USC football. And the worst case scenario, we don't know who Alabama's starting quarterback will be yet or what they're going to do there with Tua Tonga-Vailoa turning pro. But if Bryce Young were to lead an Alabama victory over USC, I think a lot of fans would just start crying 
at the yep. loss of Bryce Young and then him leading Alabama to a win. That right. would be the worst case scenario. Yes, yes. In my early prediction, I don't know if Bryce will start that game, but I don't see Bryce redshirting. I don't think he graduated early and is now at Alabama practicing to redshirt. I would see him playing and that game having some packages, especially versus USC. I think that the kind of competitor, number one, Bryce Young is, the competitor Nick Saban is, I think they're going to find ways to get him in that game to have some packages to make an impact. And you're exactly right. I mean, if Bryce, a guy who was committed to USC and goes to Alabama, plays against them and beats them, it just adds more fuel onto that fire. So SC has got to come out. And they have to treat it like a bowl game. They have to treat it like a national championship game, not a kickoff game, not easing into the season. What an opportunity for them. It's just a matter of what they make with that opportunity. And there is some late-breaking news out of Manhattan, Kansas, tonight as Kansas State's longtime special teams coordinator, Sean Snyder, has decided to join Clay Helton's staff at USC as the new special teams coordinator for SC, taking the place of John Baxter. Sean Snyder, of course, is the son of the legendary Bill Snyder, the longtime coach there at Kansas State. Snyder played for his father as an All-American punter in the early 90s at Kansas State and spent a long time on staff under his dad. There was some controversy at the end as Bill Snyder retired after the 2018 season and he wanted Sean to take over as the head coach. Instead, they went out and hired Chris Kleiman, who had a successful first season for Kansas State. And now it looks like Sean Snyder has decided to leave Manhattan, Kansas and come to the bright lights of Los Angeles. (laughs) Any reaction to this move? You know, Nara, I think it's a great hire by Clay Helton and USC. Uh, Again, you hear Snyder, you hear Kansas State. That's right. As you mentioned, the son of the legendary coach, Bill Snyder. And, you know, it's not just a name. I mean, his results speak for themselves at Kansas State. From 2011 to 2018, Kansas State was some of the best special teams in the country. And he was a coordinator for that. He was also special teams coordinator of the year nationally in 2015 and 2017. That's not easy to do. Now you're going to take talent, on the West Coast, which I think you'll have some more skill guys, some even more dangerous special teams guys to play with. So you see that he has a very good scheme. And now when you put even, I think, some more talent behind it. Last year, he was an analyst. He was not the official special teams coordinator from Kansas State, was still very much involved. And last year, they finished number one in the country in kickoff returns. And that's something we don't see a lot, right, in college football anymore, those kickoff returns. So many touchbacks. They had four taken to the house and ranked number one in the country in net yardage and kickoff returns. So it shows he was still involved. And the results that he did for seven years as a coordinator were very impressive in the Big 12. So again, you take that talent now on the West Coast, some more toys to play with at USC. I think it's a very good hire and a loss by Kansas State. Yeah, and it was probably inevitable after not getting the head coaching position and some of the turmoil that went around that, that he was maybe looking for another opportunity. And I think you're right. He always had good special teams groups there at Kansas State. That's one of the things they were known for. And we know the struggles in recent years with USC's special teams. I think this is a positive move. I agree with you completely, Chris. Yes, yes. Again, you've got the Snyder name, and this is a guy who I think will be a head coach somewhere. So he's going to come into USC, guns blazing, approve again that it was Kansas State's loss 
And I think that he'll make a lot of noise as a special teams coordinator. You mentioned something that SC has struggled in the past few years. He's got great scheme, a great football mind. And this is someone who is motivated, someone who wants to be a head coach. So uh, again, I think Sean Snyder, a great hire for USC as a new special teams coordinator. Again, late breaking news. USC has a special teams coordinator is Sean Snyder, formerly of Kansas State. And of course, if you enjoy listening to the Believe in USC football podcast, you can subscribe and rate the show on all of your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Find us on the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, and on social media at Believe Podcast. For me, I'm on Twitter. Find and follow me at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Chris, let them know where they can catch up with you on social media. Yep, you can find me both on Twitter and Instagram at Coach Ricks, R-I-X as an X-ray. Love to interact. You send me a message, I'll get back to you within 24 hours. So at Coach Ricks on Twitter and Instagram. Always love chopping it up with the fans. All right, before we get going, it's been a great show talking high school football, the recruiting and state of USC with you, Chris Ricks. What's your final thoughts before we finish up today? Well, if you're USC, you've got some of your needs met. Again, particularly in the trenches, that was one of the biggest needs, offensive, defensive line. You've got guys who are not only college players, but I think could be NFL talent. So you've got to develop those guys. You've got a very good kicker in this class in Parker Lewis. You've got skill guys like Gary Bryant, who's one of the best, Josh Jackson. Hey, you still have got some guys coming back in your receiving core and your skill core. In the running back position, what are they going to do there? With the quarterback position, what are they going to do there? These are big needs as well in order to vote for the future. So they're in a fragile place, but now I think they have talent that they can work with. It's all about developing and having that continuity for USC. It's about those assistant coaches really earning their paycheck and not losing those tight recruiting battles like we saw this year with Michael Drennan, like we saw with quarterback Kate Finnegan. You can't let schools like Boise State and Kentucky take away your talent. Yeah, it's one thing for Alabama and LSU and Clemson. Not that you like to see that either, but we just know those programs are in better states than USC. It's the lesser programs that has me concerned and why USC has to get it turned around in a hurry. When USC is good, the Pac-12 is better. On a national landscape, college football is better. And USC has so many resources. I think that's what surprises a lot of people. What surprises me? Being in Southern California, everything it has to offer, all the facilities and everything at USC, there's no reason why an athlete wouldn't want to go to USC other than the state of the program's in right now. So unfortunately for Clay Helton and the staff, they don't have a ton of time to turn it around. It's got to be sets of urgency right now. They've got to get it done this year. Be competitive because they're coaching for their jobs and playing for their jobs as well. Thank you very much for your insight, Chris. It's been great having you on. So for special guest Chris Ricks, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 23 of the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as I close every show, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.